Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. Well, good morning. Hope you're all doing well. Got to turn my mic on. Probably should have done that before I got up here, shouldn't I? Um, well, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. Um, I'm thankful for Bradley, um, your pastor, my friend. Um, well, we meet often um, and go through the Word of God just um, as accountability, um, as just friendship. We go through the Word of God together and just, um, it's really nothing spiritual, very spiritual. It's just very casual that we go through the Word of God and we just um, ponder on what God has done in our lives and just how to become more like Christ. Um, and then Pastor James, I'm thankful for your pastor um, as he was my pastor. Um, when I was in youth, and um, he's actually, um, I'm now in my senior year at Southeastern, which is in Raleigh, trying to get my bachelor's degree, trying to accomplish that, and um, Pastor James took me, and we went to go tour um, before I, I applied, and, um, and also I'm thankful for y'all as a church. I know there's a lot of new faces I don't, I don't really recognize, but there's a lot of old faces I recognize, a lot of good friends and family, and um, and really, I just want to thank y'all. I haven't had an opportunity um, for the past two years um, taking care of my family while I've been gone. Um, it's been a, a blessing to know mom every time I'd call her, dad every time I'd talk to him would say that y'all were taking care of them. Um, and that just means a lot. And I know my family's not the only one. I know there's been other families that's been going through adversity and just sicknesses and maybe some dark days. And I know y'all as a church... Um, I talked in Brotherhood a couple weeks ago, and I said, y'all don't understand how nice you have it, <laughs> right? Oftentimes, we can go through the motions, and you can kind of, uh, the more you have, the more you have to complain about kind of thing, and y'all, I just want y'all to know y'all are a great church. Um, I, I truly think of y'all as my home church, as I'm at Rocky Hill, as Bradley just spoke about, um, and I'm serving there, and I'm enjoying my time, and I love the people there, um, but I, I love y'all, and y'all mean a lot to me. And so it's really just an honor to, to be here this morning and to be asked. Um, and so thank you all. Um, the, this morning I'm going to be in Romans 3.21. If you'd flip there. And if you uh, remember last weekend was Labor Day weekend. If you, if you don't know, now you know. <laughs> last week was Labor Day weekend and... Um, the, the Walker family has a tradition where we go to the beach every, every year over Labor Day weekend. Um, we, we get a house, we stay as a family together, and then we just lay out on the beach. Nothing really crazy, just, you know, go to the house, uh, lay out on the beach, go in and eat. It's pretty much just a weekend of eating with family. Um, but before, I, um, before I, we left for uh, the beach, I was listening to a John Popper um, message. I don't know if anybody's ever heard John Popper. He's a preacher. And, um, and I was listening to his sermon, and he spoke of Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, who's another pastor, and he had wrote a book about spiritual depression. And I know that doesn't sound very enticing, you know, spiritual depression. It's homecoming, spiritual depression. Why are you talking about this? Um, but really, this book is just a collage of, 40, of, of sermons about the Psalm of 42. And so Psalm 42 is David is um, really just pouring his heart out to God and just saying, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Um, oftentimes, you can resonate with that. Um, 
and you can understand what David was talking about. But really, this this psalm is um, is talking about spiritual depression and how um, maybe external things and internal conflict can draw us near um, spiritual depression. And as I was um, reading Martin Lloyd Jones, um, his book Spiritual Depression. He, he, he begins the book by listing things that would draw us towards spiritual depression. Um, you can, you're probably already thinking there's some factors that would draw you near spiritual depression. You know, there's disease, there's deaths that arise, there's uncertainty about future. Um, you know, maybe a loss of job. You know, there's more things that would maybe draw us to become spiritually depressed. But what he spoke about first, the, th- the first thing that he addresses like caught me off guard um, because I was thinking that he would address the things that I just talked about, the, the external things that would lead us to spiritual depression, but he doesn't talk about that. It caught me off guard. The first thing that he addresses that would cause spiritual depression is not correctly grasping what it means to be made right with God. In other, in other words, having a wrong view of salvation. That is one thing that would lead you to spiritual depression. Um, I can remember when I was in the youth room um, up there in the Family Life Center, Billy and Jeff Peel and Jessica Mundy was our, my teacher. Um, and I remember one Sunday, um, we, we talked about these amazing testimonies that, that someone would have. Um, I remember that we, would, we'd, we sat up there, somehow we got off topic, as we often did, and we, we started talking about these people that had just amazing testimonies. You know, the, the people that would be considered covered in filth of sin, um, and then they, they were probably really too far gone, the people that you'd think about. And then Christ intervened, and then all the filth was gone. For example, you might think of a man who was an alcoholic, um, who was verbally and physically abusive towards his wife and his children, who would depend on drugs to find a self-relief, um, who, would be aggress- who would aggressively dismiss anyone who tried to invite him into to a church, invite him to the gospel. And then he would also allow the drugs and alcohol to, to bear him down with such degree that he would start losing his family. And then Christ enters the scene. He's no longer an addict. He's no longer a drunk. He's no longer an abuser. And his family's back together and better before. Have, have we all heard these testimonies before? If you go to a conference or if you um, have heard a sermon online, you, you've heard of these d- dramatic stories of where this man was too far gone and now he's, he's saved. And I remember telling Billy, if it wasn't Billy, I think it was. If it wasn't, then I talked to somebody. And I told him, I said, man, I wish I really had a story like that. Um, if you're like me, I've grown up in the church all my life. I don't have really an, a dramatic story of salvation. There's, there's not things that, that I can say, man, God has really just pulled me out of this um, there's, not, there's not really a, there's a history of sin, but there's not a history of sin in a way that you can say, man, he was too far gone, and now Christ, you can see that Christ worked in his life, and, and he's totally changed. Um, and I told Billy, or whoever I talked to that morning, I want a story like that. I want, I want a salvation story like that. And this, this week's per, um, study and preparation has changed my heart. Um, it has changed my view of salvation as a whole. Um, and it's not saying that I don't, I'm, I, I'm not saying that I'm not saved. I'm not saying that um, I, I never received Christ because I believe I did. And I believe, you know, if you're a believer this morning, then you've received Christ. But sometimes we have just this skewed up vision and view of what it means to be saved. 
Um, and, I, and I took my, my salvation for granted when I talked to that person up in that youth room. I, I told him, I, I want a story like that. And when, when, I, when you say that, and when I said that, I took my salvation for granted. And I thought too much of myself not to be as sinful as that man that we'd think of. And so this morning, this is my heart. Um, I know this is homecoming, and I know you don't want to you want to uplift in story, and I believe that we're going to have that. I believe that you're going to see the gospel because, church, if this is homecoming, you're thinking about your church being um, established and the church is growing and there's life within the church, and you can't have life without salvation. This church will not grow. This church will not flourish if, we don't have, if you don't have a foundation of salvation. And that's what I want us to leave here with uh, this morning. It's been, um, God has just been dealing with my heart that I would cling to Him. Um, that I would cherish what He's given me because He's made us right with God. He's made you right with God. And, and, and not only are we made right with God, but we have a title now. If you're saved, you have a title of son or daughter that you didn't have before. And so I want us to just talk about this topic of what it means to be right with God because it's not only the foundation of this church, it's the foundation and the heartbeat of Christianity. And so this morning, um, as I've Quitting to ramble, and you stand up with me. I'm going to read Romans 3.21. I'm reading now the CSB version, so I've got some verses up there if you can see that. Um, Romans 3.21 says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. And the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him as an atoning sacrifice in, in His blood. Received through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. You may be seated. Um, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are. Um, thank you, God, so much already just for the blessing and the spirit that we already feel here this morning. God, we're a church. This is a church because you've declared it to be one. God, in your spirit is here. The only way that the church can flourish, the only way that this church can grow and continue to be established is through salvation and salvation viewed in the right way. And God, I pray that we would just be spirit-filled this morning as I know we can oftentimes be distracted and I know there's going to be food after and I, I pray, God, that you would just help us to be in tune with what we, uh, we, what we have right now. Help us to live in the moment, God, and to enjoy. God, just being in your word, I pray that you would give me the words and the wisdom and the clarity, God, just to speak. God, this morning, we're not here um, to hear about me. We're not here because of tradition or because of um, going, we're going through the motions. God, I pray that we'd be here this morning because we want to hear a word from God, because we are in desperate need of you. God, I pray that you would just help us all. Thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so this morning's big idea, um, just to kind of, uh, put it out there, um, is to purge self-righteousness and to put on Christ's righteousness. So taking off self, taking off the, the righteousness that we have, 
and putting on Christ's righteousness. And before I, I go through in the text, I want to kind of give us some context of where we're at. Right, We're in halfway through the third chapter of Romans. So we've missed three and a half chapters of this book already. And so I just kind of want to fill us in for where, where Paul has got us to this point. Um, Paul has been, foc- has been teaching the Romans about the law. He's been, he's been talking about this law. And you can think that he's, he's been building his case up to this point. Um, just as a lawyer, he's gathering all the information about the law. And he's exposing of their, their sins and their faults and their shortcomings. Or you can think of what Paul has been doing already is acting as a, as a doctor. He's diagnosing his audience with the true reality of their sin and their rebellion that comes through the law. In verse 9 it says, What then are we any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are under sin. And so this is Paul out of the gate here is already talking about how we're all sinful, right? Because if you're a Jew, you um, go through these traditions and you, you're a Jew. But then if you're a Gentile, then it's everybody else but a Jew, right? So when he covers Jew and Gentile, he's covering all the bases that everyone is under sin. He's addressing that the religious Jew and then the Gentiles, who's everyone that's not a Jew, he's addressing them that everybody is condemned. Everybody's sinful. This is, this is who you are underneath this law, right? Without Christ, this is who you are under the law, we're condemned and we're sinful. Then he describes what it means to be guilty. So verse 10, he continues, and he says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive their, uh, with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in the path of peace. They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is who you are underneath the law. This is who we are without Christ. We are described just as this. A man under the law is not righteous. He's incapable to understand. He's rebellious towards God. He's evil. He's full of slanderous talk. He's, he's bitter and ill-minded. And he's arrogant towards God. He doesn't, need, he doesn't believe that he needs God. He doesn't even have a fear of God. That's who we are under the law. That's who we are without Christ. We have no hope. There's no hope even anywhere in these verses. And then he continues here in verse 19. It says, it says Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. And so John MacArthur, he, this, in his words, he says, these verses are to silence the listener to see their need. Right? So those who are under the law will then in return get God's judgment. And then he talks about in verse 20, he says, for no one will be justified. There's no, there's no salvation in the law. But what is the, what's the law good for? The law is good for knowledge of sin. So you can think of the, the law has no salvation. There's no grace in law. There's no, there's no way of an escaping what we had just read through these verses. We're condemned. 
And what, I, what you have to know is that the law requires perfection. Who's perfect in here? And if you raise your hand, you're not perfect. You just lie. Just, like, just think about the laws today, right? The speed limits um, or, or any kind of law. There's no grace in them. If you go faster than the speed limit, then you're going to have judgment. There's going to be condemnation. There's no grace in that. If you surpass the law or if you don't meet the standard of the law, then you're going to be condemned. There's going to be guilt. There's going to be shame. And you're guilty. And see, this is where Martin Lloyd-Jones' book absolutely humbled me. He talks about sin. He says, that kind of person thinks of sin in terms of action. So, right, in terms of action. Oh, he, he cussed or he, um, he said something he shouldn't have said or he acted this way. Right, and, and we think of sin as in terms of action or in terms of sin. Not only that, but in terms of certain particular actions only. So their tendency is to think that because they have not been guilty of these particular things, that they are not really sinners at all. So if you don't commit these particular sins, if you don't cuss or if you don't become drunk with wine or if you um, do things that you shouldn't do, if you watch pornography or if you, you, know, if you do these certain things, man, I'm not really a sinful man. Right? You have that kind of thought that I had up there in the, the youth room. Man, I, I'm not really as sinful as they. I'm not, I'm not really like that guy that you, we just read about. You know, I'm, I'm not like that guy that you read in the newspaper or on the TV. Man, those guys are sinful. But he talks about we're sinful regardless of how we sin. He goes on to say the essential point is that the way to know that yourself as a sinner is not to compare yourself with other people. It is to come face to face with the law of God. How do you know you're a sinner? How do you know that you will never be able to fulfill the law? Is that you come face to face with the law? And you can think of the Old Testament laws. They start out with 216 laws, which is a ton of laws to understand and to even know, um, even more so to accomplish those laws and to keep them up. And then they're condensed to the Ten Commandments, the Ten Laws. Do not murder, do not dismiss, um, or misuse the Lord's name in vain. Obey your parents, you know, don't have any other God before me. We all know these commandments. But I think we should look at the New Testament commandment. Mark twelve thirty says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Here is the test for you and me. Are you loving God with all your being? And if you're not, then you're a sinner. It doesn't take action for you to be a sinner. It just simply takes not loving God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength 24-7. Have you loved God 24-7 with all your mind, with all your heart? None of us. None of us. You're not a, you're not a, sin, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin simply because you're a sinner. That's where we are. That's where we are with, without the law, or with the law, without Christ. Church, it doesn't matter if, you're, if you've grown up like me in the church or have attended every service or if you are a part of brotherhood or if you're a deacon or a deacon's wife. It doesn't matter about any of these things if we don't know that all of our need is in Christ. We don't, we don't have to work for salvation. We, we oftentimes, I find myself working for my salvation. Um... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a new youth pastor. I have no clue what I'm doing. People from my church can probably testify. I, I'm, I'm really struggling because I've been told and I need to teach and, and love on and care for my, the youth and the kids. And yet I find myself in sin oftentimes. 
And, and I'm not trying to work necessarily for my salvation, but I oftentimes try to work to be in the fold. I know I'm saved, but I try to work to be right with God. I try to work, and I need to do this, and I need to read, and I, I just feel guilty oftentimes because I don't do something to make me feel like I'm close with God. But it doesn't take that. We've all fallen short. The purpose of the law is not to save anybody, but it is to condemn everybody. That's what John MacArthur says. So, so God has strategically arranged the law to exist so that we would see our need for Christ. So you think of this, the law is a mirror in your house, right? So as soon as you wake up, you have lines on your face, your hair's messy, you have bad breath, right? And you go to this mirror to see all the mess that you need to clean up, to fix, right? Um, you don't want to look like a slob all day, so you look yourself in the mirror and say, I need to change. I need to fix myself, right? And that's exactly what the law is. The law is a mirror so that you may see your sin as it is. The law is a mirror and it exposes us as if who we truly are. There's no salvation in the law. Think about There's no salvation in tradition. There's no salvation in works all the time. Right, James talks about that you work because you're saved, right? You work because you've been hired by somebody. You never work for free, right? If you do, God bless your heart. But I don't work for free. Unless I work for dad, then money comes slim. But see, the Jews thought that law brought favor. They, they thought that they would know the whole Old Testament and that they would continue to be religious because it brought them close with God. But it doesn't. That's why there were so many Pharisees that, that are in hell right now because they thought they were close with God, but they never knew God. So the law is never meant for salvation. The law is meant for examination. You know that the, the, the Jews thought that they were going to bring favor with God, but all they, all they found themselves was in death. So the law simply is to show our need. So now we're in these verses. So now Paul starts, and this is what he's been talking about for the first three chapters. Man, there's no salvation in law. If you think you're going to work yourself to heaven, it's not going to happen. You're not going to find yourself close to God. And then he gets to verse 21, and he says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. So that brings me to the first point, the righteousness of God revealed in Scripture. Uh, John MacArthur says, the very one who gave the law to condemn us must also give the righteousness to save us. So God didn't just give us the law and say, man, look at yourself. You're sinful. You're hopeless. You're ungodly. You will never be close to me. And then he, he didn't just leave us there. Right. He, he, he provides Christ Jesus to die for us, to fulfill the law. But you see this all through the Old Testament. Right. Oftentimes we think, how are these Old Testament people saved? How, how are they in heaven? Right, there was no Christ before they got there. You know, he comes later down the road. How does these people become saved? And see, the Old Testament law and the prophets are always, they're always pointing to the coming Savior, the, the becoming Redeemer. Right, so the Old Testament believers are putting their faith in, in the coming Christ. Right, so the same way that you believe in Jesus and you're saved through faith because he came and died for your sin is the same way they're saved. They believe that there is a coming Savior that's going to die and pay for all their sin and make them right. So the only way that you're saved is through the faith of Christ Jesus. Um, in Genesis 3.15, it should be on the screen. 
It says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first prediction of Christ's coming. This is in Genesis 3, right after the sin was committed. Genesis 12, 3. It says, I will bless you, or I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the people, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. He's talking to Abraham. This is the Abrahamic covenant. This is God talking to Abraham and saying, there's going to be a coming Savior through your lineage. This is pointing towards Christ. Leviticus 17, 11 says, For the life of a creature is, the, is in the blood, and I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your life, since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. It's the blood that covers the sin. Jesus coming. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Jesus Christ coming through a virgin birth. Isaiah 25:8 says, When he was swallowed up, when he has swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. Right when Christ dies and resurrects, he will dismiss all sin if you believe in him. Isaiah 53, um, verses 5 through 6. If you think about it, whole Isaiah 53 talks about the coming of Christ. I just had to pick some so you could see it on the screen, right? Verse 5, it says, But he has been pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punished. For our peace was on Him. Right? The peace that we received was on Christ. And, and we are healed by His wounds. Verse 6, we, we all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own ways. But the, and the Lord has punished Him for the iniquity of all sin. Or for, all of, uh, for us all. I'm sorry. And then um, Hosea 13, 13 through 14. Labor pains come on, um, come on Him. He is, he is not a wise son. When the time comes, he, was, or he will not be born. I will ransom them from the power of Sheol. I, I will redeem them from death. Right? Death, where is your barbs? Or death, where is your, um, where's your power? Sheol, where is your stink? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. This is all the Old Testament prophets prophesying that there's a coming king. Right? You, can go, you can pick out any text. In the Old Testament, or a whole story, and if you read the whole story, there's going to be a coming Christ, right? Think of Moses. This is one of the, the best things about the Old Testament is Moses, he was a man, but he also prophesies that there's going to be a deliverer to come, right? As they were delivered out of Egypt. The whole Old Testament is prophesying that there's going to be a coming Messiah. So that's how they're saved. That's how, old, that's how the Old Testament believers were saved, because they put their faith in Jesus. They put their faith in this coming Christ. And in Malachi, I don't have it up there, but... You know how he ends the Old Testament. The Old Testament ends by "Be ready, he's coming soon." That's how the Old Testament ends. So the whole Old Testament is looking forward to this coming Savior. The Old Testament never speaks of salvation through the law. There's never any um, redemption through the law, but only by putting your faith and finding refuge in the faith of Christ. So who's that coming Savior? Uh, my second point is the righteousness of God received through faith in Christ. 
The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The coming Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul spends up to this point trying to, to tear down this argument that most people would have if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile about all about works and all about trying to fulfill this law. And he has struck down and destroyed every argument. And he's saying there's only salvation through, through Christ, not through anything or anyone else. We receive the righteousness of God when we put our faith in Christ. How does Christ bring us into a relationship or right relationship with God? John MacArthur says, Jesus, Jesus' active obedience lived a sinless and law-fulfilled life. His death was a sufficient payment for the sin of man, and His resurrection granted sinful man access to His righteousness. Right, so, so the, the way that the law was fulfilled was by Christ's perfect obedience to the Father while He lived on this earth. So He had lived a perfect life. That fulfills the whole law, right? I, mean, I told you, that the law's standard is perfection. And because Christ lived the perfect life, He had, you can say, a check mark beside the law. He had fulfilled the law. And then, and then he, he died for our sin. He paid for the sins, the debt, the debt that we have made ourselves in sin. And then when He resurrected, that gives us life. That grants us access to the Father. How do, how do we receive the righteousness? If Christ is doing all the work, that's how we receive it, right? That's how it's accomplished. But then how do we receive righteousness? Here in these verses it says, by putting your faith in Christ. Right? There's no works in that. No, none whatsoever. The only works that you see in these verses are done by Christ. And they're sufficient. They're accomplished. So the way that we find righteousness, the way that we find good favor, the, the way that we are made right with God is through Christ Jesus and by putting our faith in Him. And so how do, how do we find ourselves at this point of saving knowledge? How, how do we become saved, right? How do we know who Jesus is? It goes back to my first point, the Old Testament, right? Your Scripture, right? The Old Testament talks about salvation and the coming Christ. Our New Testament talks about the Christ who came and salvation through that. And so you are able to be saved and know Christ and know that you need a Savior and know that He is righteous and sufficient for you by reading the Word. By reading the Word, by hearing preaching, and in understanding the Gospel. If you understand the Gospel, then you will find yourself at the state of where you know that you need a Savior, and Christ is it. And then I love this here in the second part of verse 22. It says, since there is no distinction. So he goes back to verse 9 where it says, for we, for we have already charged that both Jew and Gentiles are, under, um, are all under sin. So Paul goes back and says, hey, you remember when I said that all Jews and Gentiles, when I said everybody's sinful? You remember that? He said, well, you're all on the same platform. That's what he's talking about here in verse 22. Since there is no distinction. Right? There's no distinction. The man that you find yourself watching on, uh, on TV, on the news, has killed dozens of people that's went into a church and he shot somebody. Right? Or, or you see these people protesting and murdering people. Right? And it's standing for the wrong things. Right? We, we point our finger and say, man, they're sinful and they deserve hell. But this is what Paul's saying. You're on the same platform as them. There's no distinction. Right? And then he goes into verse 23. This is kind of a collage right here. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I don't care if you've ever never shot anybody. I don't care if you've ever done any, I, You think of the most heinous crimes in this world. And if you've never committed them, you're on the same platform as them because you have sinned. 
because you don't love God with all your heart, because you don't love God with all your soul. Sin is sin. There's no difference. There's no way to work towards this salvation of our righteousness. I've been trying to uh, up my golf game here recently. Mom and Dad would tell you, me and Noah have, and Bryson and um, my buddy Zach and Braden went the other day. We go to uh, Wilkes, North Wilkes, um, and there's a golf, or there's a, a driving range up there. Now, Zach would tell you, Zach Bumgarner, we've played at a par three before, and I'm awful. I mean, I'm terrible. <laughs> you talk to him, and he's like, I probably will never play with him again. It takes three hours to play two holes. You know, I'm trying to find my ball. Um, but, but it's cheap, right? Go to a driving range, pay five bucks, and I don't have to chase the ball. I just hit them. If it goes in the woods, that's for them to get, you know? You just go, and you... If I'm having a good night, though, and I can get my driver out, if I'm having a really good night, Noah will tell you, I can maybe hit the ball 250 yards. Maybe. Maybe. But we're all capable of hitting the ball, right? If I gave you the driver, you could hit the ball. It might go two inches, but you hit the ball, right? Or some of you, like Braden and Zach, you can probably smash the ball and it'll go 400 yards, and we won't find it because it went so far, right? What if I told you, though, um, that your life depended on how far you hit the ball? What if, I, what if we set up a tee at the point at the coast of North Carolina, and I said, you have to hit it to the other side of, the United, or of um, North Carolina. The, the, the ball that you're about to tee up, this swing, your life depends on it. Because if it doesn't reach the other state line, um, then, then death is on the horizon. Right? What if your life depended on that you had to hit this golf ball to the other end of the state? We would all swing... Zach Bumgarner might hit 400 yards. I might hit 200 yards. Or I might even hit 10 yards, right? Depends on the swing. But we all end up with the same result, sin, or uh, death. We all end up with the same result as death. Uh, it doesn't matter how far you hit. And this is what John MacArthur says. Not all have sinned to the same degree, but all have no capability of getting anywhere near the standard that God has established. It doesn't matter how hard you work, you will never reach this point of salvation in and of yourself. There's no way that we can fulfill the law. So we're sinful, we're unrighteous, and we have no favor with God. Exactly, actually, we're, we are enemies towards God. Verse, uh, verse 24. They are, ju they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For, for God presented Him as an atoning sacrifice in His blood received through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. We are all at fault with God and we we must believe in Him because He has justified us. It's, I mean, to, be, to be made justified, to be made, uh, have justice or to be made righteous, it means to have a right relationship with Christ. And the only way we can have a right relationship with, Christ is, or with God is through Christ. The only way that we can have true and, right and good relationship with God is through Christ. And we are going to be declared um, righteous in front of Him. We're going to be declared 
right. We're going to be declared um, okay, right? We're, we're going to have the same righteousness of God. We can receive Christ freely by putting our faith in Him. But salvation is a, is a gift, right? We don't deserve salvation. We've never earned salvation. Like we've been talking about the whole time, the law says you can't earn it. You can't get near it. There's no, there's no way that you can get even anywhere close to being at the standard where you can be saved through your works. It takes perfection. We, we can and will never be good enough to deserve the gift. There's absolutely no way that we can ever, even, even ever repay God for what He's done. I mean, if you... And, and I've struggled with this. I've already told you about that. As a new pastor, there's sin in my life that I want to rid, and, and it's still just haunting me. There's, there's days that I just... I'm, I'm, I get depressed and I get discouraged of the sin and just the way that I act. And, you know, and I have this, this title and this standard of, man, you're a pastor and you need to be a leader, right? You're, you're leading the youth. You're, you, have, you have kids to shepherd. But at the same time, I'm, I'm just as sinful as you. I'm just as sinful as anybody on this earth. And if you want to meet someone who's very clumsy in the faith, it's me. If you hang around me long, you'll realize that I'm clumsy. I want you to know that you can't earn you can't earn his love. You can't earn God's love. You can't earn salvation. And you will never earn salvation. The reason why you have salvation, the reason why you have a relationship with God is only because he has loved you. There's no way that you can earn it. There's no way I can earn it. Salvation is a gift that isn't deserved. The, the gift of salvation is a, is a gift of grace. And we, re, we freely receive this gift of salvation. Right? Think of salvation as a gift, right? Whenever you have a, um, a birthday party or an anniversary or a Christmas gift, someone receives the prize, but another has to pay for it. Right? It might be my birthday and I'll receive prizes. I'll receive gifts. But someone has paid for it. Someone spent time. Someone spent money. Effort. We receive salvation freely through faith, but Christ paid for our freedom. Someone had to pay for it. That's what redemption means. It means a ransom by payment. So not only Christ has paid for our sin that we've created, but He also satisfies the wrath of God. Did you know before you were saved, God hated you? God hates sin. God hates sin. Why does God hate sin? Because He is just. God's just. He's holy. He's righteous. He hates sin. He hates unrighteousness. He hates all sin, which means that he had to punish all sin. That's what God is. That's what he, that's what he would do. This is not my words. This is, God. this is God. This is who you love. This is who loves you. He hates sin. But he didn't leave us there. He didn't leave us in this hopelessness state of where we didn't have Christ. He sent Christ for, for the reason that we may be purchased and that we may be freed. And also that we may find favor with Him. Christ is our atoning sacrifice. Christ's death defeated sin and also Christ's death quenched this eternal punishment that, we, that should be placed on you and me. So how did he do this? How did Christ do this? John MacArthur states, He's an infinite, Christ is an infinite being who can take an infinite amount of punishment and he can bore all wrath of God 
for the sins of all who ever believe in just a few hours on the cross. Our sin is transferred to the Son of God so that God may see us as Christ. Think of it as a transfer. Right, we're sin, we're filthy, and we're unrighteous, and, we, and God hates us, and we're at war with God. Read Ephesians 2. We're at war with God. We're dead in sin. But God didn't leave us there. God didn't leave us in a way that we could never escape His wrath and His, and His judgment. Right? He sends God, and so whenever, whenever Jesus dies on that cross, He pays the, the debt of sin. But not only that, but He quenches this wrath that was deserved for us. The wrath that was going to be on you and me. And so no longer, if you're saved this morning, you're no longer looked as sinful. You know, the things that we read through verses 10 through 18 were evil, were slanders. We're no longer looked as that. Even though in our heart of hearts we still commit those sins, God looks on you as if you are Christ Himself. God looks on you this morning as if you have never sinned. And that's grace. He's, he's just... But he's also gracious. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones states, The righteousness of God in Jesus Christ means that God sent him into the world in order that he might honor the law and so that men might be forgiven. To Christ, who is God, saw the need and the debt of sin that man had created and he didn't leave us in hopelessness. But he, sent, but he was sent by the Father to live a perfect life to fulfill this law that we can never fulfill. And to, and to die a criminal's death that would purchase our salvation, that would purchase this sin debt that we have created ourselves in. And then he would, he would live again so that we may have life with him. That's what Christ has done. That's the gospel. You know, that, that's what I'm trying to, to share this morning. This is the foundation of every church. Every church should, if they're biblical, they should, this is the foundation. There's, there's only works because you've experienced this kind of salvation. That you have joy even in hardship because you have this salvation. Right, because you love and because you care and you can serve others. Not because you want to earn favor with God, but because you have already, because you will never earn favor with God. And, and God sent Christ to die for you. And to live for you. When I was thinking about this all week, I, I thought of a song by Chris Renzima uh, called God is Love. And these are just the first verse um, and, and the chorus it says it says how great this love oh it's moving all my mountains this perfect love is casting out all, out my fear how great this love oh it welcomes me like family and anywhere I go it meets me there the chorus it says cause he is good and he is God what I earned is not what I got and he is just yet also kind what I deserve, it's not what I find. What more can I say about Him? My God is love. That's who we serve. That's why we come to church. Not to hear me, not to hear Bradley, not to hear Pastor James. The, the, the sole reason that you come to church is to hear a word from God. And this is, this is His message. This is what He's been all about from the very beginning is that you would have a relationship with Him. And a right relationship, a, a correct view of what it means to be saved in salvation. So salvation is a gift that can never be earned, a gift that can never be deserved. It's purely an act of love and grace that's provided by God. And this is the central message of Christianity. This is the, the foundation of God that He has laid for His church. The sinful man is being redeemed back to His and their Creator 
for putting your faith in Christ Jesus. That's, that's what the Savior that we serve. That's the Savior that has saved and bought you. No longer do you have to work for, no longer do you have to work for salvation. No longer do you have to be condemned of your sin. No longer does your past have to haunt you. You serve freely because God allows you to have faith in Him freely because someone has paid for you, bought you, He loves you. He's just, but He's also gracious. So if, if Mark would come up, the musicians, in, in conclusion, um, I, I hope and I pray that you would have a relationship with God. I just, that's my prayer. That's what's been on my mind and my heart all week. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, I pray that you would put your faith in Him. And that you'd make a decision today. Because I want you to know that God sent Jesus in every waking moment that Jesus was on this earth. He had you in mind every moment. And if you're a believer, I want you to know that you have to preach this gospel to yourself daily. Man, times get tough. There's situations that arise. There's things that are uncertain in your life. Preach the gospel to yourself. And just sit in His, um, in his mercy. And so I want to thank you all for allowing me to, to be here this morning. Um, thank you all uh, for being attentive. And um, I'm just thankful that we serve a God that, that loves us, that cares for us. I'm thankful that you're a church that stands on Christ. And, and my prayer is that this church will continue to be a persistent church that will always share the gospel and have the message uh, presented. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'll hand the service back over to Bradley. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done. God, I'm unworthy to be standing before these folks, God, and we're all unworthy to stand before you. But God, we're so thankful that you are gracious, that you are loved, that you're righteous. Um, thank you for all that you've done. We love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.